The following is a production of the Phoenix Studios Podcast Network here at the University of Wisconsin-Green Bay. For more podcasts, be sure to visit uwgb.edu forward slash podcasts. This is Serious Serious Fun. Welcome to episode number 39 of Serious Fun. As always, I am your host, Dr. Brian Carr, self-appointed patriarch of the podcast clan. I'm going to level with you before we start anything else in this episode. Full disclosure, cards on the table, full context. I love the Yakuza series. If you're not familiar with Yakuza, first off, shame on you. Second, let me explain. Yakuza is a video game series set in the Japanese criminal underworld. It's published by Sega, debuted on the PlayStation 2 back in 2005. They brought it over to America with a questionable English dub in 2006. More on that later. But since then, there have been 18 games, including 8 main series titles and several spin-offs released across console, PC, and even mobile. It's been a financial success for Sega, selling 14 million units physically and digitally in the 15 years since its debut, in no small part of the fact these games are some of the most compelling stories and characters you're ever going to see in the medium. Most of them revolve around Kazuma Kiryu, uh, who starts off as a low-level member of a crime family in the Tojo clan Yakuza Syndicate, and through a decade-spanning saga that means seriously it takes place over like 40 years uh, becomes a surrogate father, proprietor of an orphanage, leader of the Tojo clan, and legendary warrior. Other games delve into a connected universe of rich supporting characters like Kiryu's adopted daughter Haruka, his lunatic frenemy Goro Majima, the disgruntled detective Makoto Date, the financier Shun Akiyama, and former Yakuza bruiser Taiga Seijima. Characters will weave in and out of the narrative, rewarding players who have played all of the games with additional context and meaning, not unlike the Marvel Cinematic Universe, if that helps, most of the games take place in and around fictionalized versions of real cities and districts in Japan. For instance, the primary setting for most of the games is Kamurocho. It's a thinly veiled virtual version of the Kabukicho district in Tokyo. Fans will often make pilgrimages to the real cities and take photos in front of iconic landmarks also seen in the game. The plots are intricate puzzle boxes full of complex relationships, political maneuvering, criminal intrigue, and some genuinely heartbreaking melodrama along with absolutely gonzo comedy. You want chickens that run businesses? Brutal gangsters dressed as babies? Sinister giant robot vacuum cleaners? It's all there. It's a lot. Now, I wrote an article about the series for the College of Arts, Humanities, and Social Sciences blog, Cause and Effect. There's a link in the show notes. It'll fill in some more gaps if you're interested. But the most recent game in the series is Yakuza Like a Dragon. It's a new take on the series released in November of 2020, turning it into a turn-based RPG with team combat and stat management. It stars new protagonist Ichiban Kasuga, a video game-obsessed low-level Yakuza who spends nearly two decades in prison taking the fall for a crime he didn't commit. He quickly becomes embroiled in high-level political and criminal intrigue. He's great, the cast is great, the game is great, it's all great. So my wife and I just finished this latest game. We play through them together. We discuss every plot twist and character beat. We, we feel, we laugh, we cry. Um, and I was full of questions about how these sprawling, intricate games, very closely tied to a specific cultural context and identity, get brought over to the West so successfully. 
Well, I got Twitter, so I thought, who better to ask than Scott Strickart, the senior localization producer for the Yakuza series at Sega. Nobody, that's who. I reached out to Scott via Twitter. He agreed to talk to some random nobody, and now you can listen to it here on this week's Serious Fun. This is a super fun interview, and I hope you enjoy it. And by the way, there are some spoilers for Yakuza Like a Dragon in this. If you are a neophyte to the series, it's probably going to go right over your head. But if you're a longtime fan and you haven't finished Like a Dragon yet, you might want to skip some of the discussion about English voice acting. I do try to signpost it, but um, you know it's not plot critical stuff. It's not going to really ruin the story, but there are some things that happen that are kind of cool um, and probably something you want to experience fresh or just a heads up. But anyway, let's get into it. Sega senior localization producer Scott Strickart talking Yakuza here on Serious Fun. Time to call a friend! Scott Strickert, uh, welcome to Serious Fun. Thanks for having me, man. Uh, I'm thrilled to have you. Uh, I, often I will do interviews that uh, I think are relevant and important and interesting for the audience. Uh, and this is one of them, but sometimes I also do them just for me. And this is also just one of those ones that's just for me. I'm really, uh, as I mentioned in the beginning, a huge fan of the series. Excited to talk to you about, and, and just localization is something that's endlessly fascinating. So um, thrilled to be have the chance to talk to you. Let's, so let's go ahead and get started. Um, I would like to start with a simple question for the guests. Uh, tell me the Scott Strickert story. Uh, oh, how did you get to where you are now? I know that's a big ask. but uh, <laughs> It's a long story just because I've been doing this like for 13 since 2007, so like about 13 years. Um, I started at Atlas and where I worked on uh, a lot of little JRPGs and, you know, but some not so little ones like uh, Persona and uh, Radiant Historia and uh, 3D Game Heroes, if you're an old school PS3 player. Um, from there, I went to level five where I worked on a little bit of Nino Kuni um, and uh, launched the, the Guild series, which is this series of like 3DS games to create. Uh, kind of indie style, low budget indie style games created by famous creators like Yasumi Matsuno and um, uh, Yut Saito and uh, Suda51, a whole bunch of cool games like that. And then- I think I played um, Matsuno's. It was like a turn, like a D&D kind of thing. Yeah, Crimson Shroud it's called. That's um, the one, yeah, that yeah. was cool. Yeah, and to be clear, that wasn't my localization. That was the GOAT, Alex Smith. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but from there, uh, I did some marketing at Square Enix. I worked on the Final Fantasy franchise and only to be kind of invited back to Atlas uh, because Atlas had been acquired by Sega and they were building a team and uh, they called me. So I've been on Yakuza ever since uh, 2015, essentially having been brought back into Atlas to lead that project. And what a ride. It's been, uh, what is it, <laughs> six or seven years, seven games or something like that. Mm -hmm. Wild. <laughs> So you would have come back on around Yakuza Zero, right? That was yeah. Yakuza Five was kind of hobbling out the door, and uh, Yakuza Zero was my first project. Okay, so we'll talk some more about those and kind of explain what this. Because uh, I'll mention a little bit about uh, I, I talked a little bit about what the series was in the beginning, but I'd love to get your thoughts on it too for those who might not necessarily be as familiar with it. Um, but let's also just kind of like roll back a little bit further. So you work in localization. Um, what exactly is localization uh, for those who are listening who might not be as familiar with it? So the, the, the easiest way to, the layman's term of it all is just, you know, a game that starts in any other language needs to be put into a different language and someone in localization will handle that. So it, obviously Yakuza starts in Japanese and it's my job to put it out in English. I produce the English version. 
So essentially that the English version is under my control. And um, we, you know, obviously I have a team of people who are, uh, I couldn't do it alone, obviously. <laughs> There's a bunch of skilled people, translators, linguists, sales, marketing, all these people who are involved in the localization of um, the Yakuza series, obviously. But uh, for my my core job is obviously taking the, the Japanese text and making it English. Okay, so, uh, you know, Yakuza, for those of you who are not as familiar with it, uh, and if you're not familiar with it, get on the train. It's the, it's, it's the best thing going. Um, but uh, this is a series about uh, the Japanese criminal underworld. It's also about family and honor and um, just some of the most crazy nonsense you will ever see in a video game. But they're also just really notorious for being very big, sprawling games with very long stories and a lot of text. So... You know, let's say you sit down to localize, uh, well, you and your team sit down to localize a Yakuza game. How big are we talking the script is? Like, how much text is in one of these games? <laughs> it's massive. Um, so, Yaku let's start with Like a Dragon. So, Yakuza Like a Dragon was about 1.2 million Japanese characters, or emoji. Um, so, that's, that's typically how we measure our, our titles, obviously, because we have to take what's in Japanese characters and put that into English. And we have all kinds of formulas to determine how many people and how long that's going to take based on the emoji count. So, um, 1.2 million Japanese characters is roughly equivalent to like 600,000 words. That's just the text script. And then there's another... 27,000 lines of dialogue that had to be done on top of that. And because I do dual subtitles on these titles, um, you know, the main story <laughs> multiplies from there. So these are, these are massive, massive undertakings. Yeah. So this isn't like, for those of you who are listening, who might not be familiar with the series, this is not like a Mario game where it's, you know, relatively limited in text, you know, like a couple of characters might talk like this is, there is constant, you know, menu choices, characters, side stories, you know, the, the dialogue, as you said, it's a, tr it's a tremendous, like you need a team to, yeah. to do this, to make it even manageable. <laughs> one person, one person could not do it in a reasonable amount of time. Well, especially considering <laughs> these games come out fairly regularly, right? Like, you know, yeah, we're, we're on an annualized basis, you know, say what you will about that. But the, um, the reality is that we've, we've come out with eight, one or more Yakuza games every year at of yeah. this, basically of this scope. So you know, with that, you know, I, th I think back to like the early days of like uh, of cartridge-based localization, right? Your Ted Woolsey's working in Final Fantasy, that kind of thing. Um, are there technical concerns that come into play with that, right? Obviously, uh, when we talk about uh, the memory that uh, Japanese text takes up versus English text, there's a big disparity there. Um, do you have to make adjustments, or is that largely a thing of the past in terms of like the technical side of localization? I mean. Well, you know, it's we've come a long way since the Woosley days. Mm -hmm. <laughs> We're no longer worried about like the amount of text we fit in a box so much as we are, uh, you know, with every with every new, I guess, piece of technology that enters the the pipeline, suddenly more different and newer types of um, uh, technological barriers also kind of come out too, right? So, mm -hmm. you know, for us, obviously, we've we've got massive text boxes. We can up the font size. We can do all that stuff like font. Uh, text boxes are no longer the concern. It's more about like, well, how are we gonna how are we gonna ingest this movie, which is X gigs, and you know put vo put voices over that movie and do um, you know make it fit within the timeframes and and get get these get these get this dialogue into the into the products that you know manage the script, manage the manage the text files, manage the um, the translation, manage you know all this stuff that just needs to be tooled 
essentially. We have we have some people in our in our office that are essentially a tools team that are managing the technical hurdles because that's what it takes to be able to uh, to localize these things these days. So, is there a lot of like custom software that has to be built? There's massive amounts of custom software, whether it's built on our side or their side, um, or or we can use uh, what are called CAT tools, computer assisted technology translation. Uh, tools that, um, you know, uh, I wouldn't, they, the, to be clear, those don't translate for us. They just manage translation files. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's there's constant, this tool needs to talk to that tool, which needs to upload to that tool, which needs, to, it's just, it's wild. <laughs> I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> but the end result is worth it. Like, it, you, you look at these, and it's just, it's a tremendous undertaking. Um, and, you know, I, I, I always try not to to gush too much, but you know, this it's like you look at like this. These are some of the best localizations in the business. If I'm being honest, oh, thank you. It's just like it turns out so well, um, and, and I think what makes it impressive, you know, Yakuza is a series that provides really unique challenges in that regard, right? It's very deeply versed in Japanese culture, history, social and political relationships. You know, Yakuza 0 has close mechanical and narrative ties to the late 80s economic bubble in Japan. Like you do all of your, uh, you upgrade all of your skills by spending just obscene amounts of money. Um, You know, Like a Dragon has a subplot that's very much about the country's electoral system. Um, And, you know, for a lot of English speaking audiences, especially in the West, North America, you know, there isn't really that frame of reference for a lot of this stuff. So when you localize these games, how much do you stay faithful to the original script versus how much you try to recontextualize some of these specific references for the American or at least English speaking audience? I get asked that a lot. And it's, you know, I wish that there was an answer. I could be like, well, we do, you know, this is exactly how much we localize it, but it's, it's kind of not because it's an art, you know, I mean, it's, you have to look at it from the perspective of, why are you coming to this to play Yakuza? You're not coming to get a Western experience when you pick mm-hmm. up a game called Yakuza. You're, you know, and neither would that would be providing a Western experience in a game called Yakuza or in a game that's, you know, less the title just, you know, what it is, right? You know, we wouldn't want to jelly donutify that, right? <laughs> if you're aware of the jelly donut, uh, you know, localization thing, that's you know, Pokemon uh, ages ago called it called a, a rice ball a jelly donut because it was just a kid's show and that's how they made it make sense right but so for us it's less about uh you know ensuring that you know every concept and every every japanese conceit is perfectly explained or or glossed over it's more about building the bridge from an average western player to that content right so it's uh you know if something is is generally explained in the plot for instance you know we can we can gloss it over and just say okay well the plot's going to take care of that for us but if something is mechanically required to play the game and if because we just chose not to to localize it it makes it a lesser experience that's where we have to draw the line right so something like the the i often refer to like the the bar chat mini game in yakuza 6 where um in the japanese version it was essentially three different versions of soldus which you would know means like, is that so? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and a Japanese player would instantly be able to identify which version of Soldus they should pick uh, as a as a dialogue choice. But if we all if we localize each one to be, you know, is that so? Oh, are you serious? Well, that's interesting. How do you, in English you all three of those uh, options are valued? You could say any of that, right? To to continue a conversation. But so the, that that mini game had to drastically change. Uh, in the West to essentially be two very obvious or or slightly less obvious um, choices for that were 
wrong and one that was uh, would lead you to being correct. So, um, you know, the, that's, that's, that's probably the most egregious types of changes we make. But from a, from a philosophical standpoint, we very much want to keep the series as Japanese as possible to present a Japanese uh, point of view, a Japanese title. It's a Japanese game, right? And it's set in Japan. It's played by Japanese people. It's created by Japan. Mm-hmm. And it's our job to um, make sure that's carried over in, in our version as well. And, and so I assume that's why you would keep like the honorifics, um, you know, a- uh, English speaking actors adding San and, and Chan and that sort of thing uh, to the end of character names. Uh, that's is that part of that as well. That's super controversial, actually. I think. Okay. <laughs> no, let's get into it. I'm interested. Yeah, totally. No, there's a lot of there's a lot of you know translations and translators and linguists would be like, you never keep the honorifics, and that's valid. That's totally a valid thing to do because it's not at some point you know th- there's a, there's the well, are you translating the game or are you just leaving it in Japanese? And, you know, I was raised on this school of persona where, you know, we were trying to bring a little bit of that Japanese culture into the English localization to convey all those, those relationships that those honorifics convey. And, you know, I, I personally believe that even though it sounds awkward or a little stilted for these English actors to be like, you know, Kazuma-san, Kiryu-san, whatever it's going to be, um, the... Uh, <laughs> the reality is it does it does sound foreign it does it does kind of make you remember that even though you're hearing it in english this is a japanese title and that that reminder is constantly there it's never my intention to overwrite the japanese so the other thing it does for us is that you know there's always going to be some ploy on an honorific in the game somewhere in the script in uh, an example i often refer to is in judgment when uh, a character comes up into to our, our main guy yagami and he's like, oh, Yagami-san, or should I say Yagami-sensei, asking kind of like, you know, which which honorific he prefers. And, you know, in English, that would be, oh, Mr. Yagami, you know, or, or is, should that be Yagami attorney at law? You know, <laughs> <laughs> it, it, you start to you start to lose some of that. You're, you become a further step removed from being able to to maintain that level of, of accuracy to the to the original text. And that's something I, I, I pride myself in being able to say that we do is to be able to say well, because we keep the honorifics, we can stay as accurate as possible. And add some nuance too, uh, especially in that example you provided. Yeah, totally. You know, if someone switches from Chan to Kun or someone goes from Senpai to, or, you know, from last name to first name, you start to see the, it, as happens with Ichiban, right? A lot of people start by calling him Kasuga, but by the end of the game, he's Ichiban. So, mm-hmm. you know, you start to see this uh, uh, familiarity develop. And I'm a big fan of that uh, that in particular because you know the running gag is like people think his name is made up um, <laughs> because Ichiban means uh, I think what number one uh, mm-hmm. so uh, people but that was just the name he was given really and so uh, it's it's just they get a lot of mileage out of that in the script for sure. Totally. Um, you had a very interesting thread on Twitter, um, which I believe your Twitter is at Trigger Red, right? With two yes, D's? thank you. Yeah, thank you. Okay. Uh, so it's worth reading. I'm not going to rehash the whole thing here, but uh, you talked about the challenges of localizing specific Japanese accents and dialects and trying to find analogs to them in, you know, particularly in like American culture and dialect. Now, I was just wanted to know a little bit more about that. If you could elaborate on that. And specifically, you know, humor is a big part of these games, right? They're very serious melodramas. You know, they're very well-written crime stories, but they're also frequently hilarious. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, there's, there's, some, there's one scene in particular I want to ask you about. Let's, but let, I want to start with the idea of trying to get, like, a dialect, right? You said the, was the Kansai dialect in particular was problematic? 
Yeah, um, we've had we've had a couple different dialects enter the uh, the Yakuza sphere. The Kansai being the first one, and then uh, Hiroshima bin, which is the second one. Um, the it's an interesting problem because when in in, in the Japanese game, when you're playing it, if someone uh, speaks in a Kansai accent, like when you're playing Yakuza Kiwami 2, one of the first lines of dialogue is uh, out of the phone, and you know that this guy is uh, a Kansai speaker because he's got that Kansai accent, right? And so, um, you know, to in order to kind of keep that that sense of like, well, players should understand that this dude's from Kansai, there has to be something to indicate that that's true. And, you know, for, for the longest time, it was just in subtitles where you could change things a little bit and not really map your your accent to a specific region. Mm-hmm. So, you know, for, for Yakuza 0, um, you know, I I like to think that I took some of the major characteristics of Kansai, which would be, you know, kind of fast talking, um, loose, loose interpretation, looser interpretation of, of formality, um, the kind of more colorful language, um, you know, some of those things that come out in our, in our Kansai speakers. So I dropped the G's, use a lot more idioms, that kind of thing with, especially in uh, Sotenbori, which is where the primary uh, Osaka bin would be taking place. And, you know, that, that kind of established the idea that this is how the Kansai speaker should sound for the series. Um, and that's kind of how we use, how we move forward with it. And it just became even that much more compounded though. when suddenly it's, we're adding voice to the game and well <laughs> you can you can tell people that drop g's or or write the script the way that way but it's not going to come across that there's an adi- that there's an intentional dialect and that whole twitter thread you you're 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 referencing is just me kind of i guess kind of explaining that i don't like the idea of taking a kansai dialect and and, and making it so that you know, because these are people who live in Kansai. It's not like the it's just the Kansai dialect being assigned to well these this fairy race like in Neokuni, right? Where, mm-hmm. you know, in Neokuni these these fairies speak in the Kansai dialect to differentiate them and to give them a little bit more personality. And you could easily take that and make it Welsh, you know, <laughs> right? But the um, for for making Kansai speak people speak Brooklyn or Boston or Texan, just feels just feels kind of. I don't know. It, it, it's a bit of an erasure, I think. And mm-hmm. I struggle with it because in, in some cases, yes, you still need the context of this person having an accent. And you could tell that in the scene with the guy who, the security guard who switches from a normal accent to a Kansai accent in the, in the Japanese, that would be really clear in the English. It's super not. And that's, mm-hmm. that's on us. That's our fault. But the, um, uh, what, <laughs> What I guess what I guess I'm trying to say overall is that I, I rather keep the accent neutral than map an entire people to a specific American dialect as an English American localizer. Um, it's a lot easier, I think, if we were doing this, if we if we'd been based in, in Britain, for instance, we could have easily been like, well, there's a million different accents we could go to for Kansai. Suddenly we've got Cockney or, or you could go to Welsh or you could do mm-hmm. Australian and still feel like that was the same universe. But, you know, if we were suddenly doing an English accent for Kansai, which wouldn't doesn't map together at all. <laughs> you know, it um, it would just I just feel like it would it would do be a disservice to the title. Right. And so but sometimes you do kind of use those for like jokes and asides, and there are sometimes plot points as well. So that does add some complex some complexity to it. It does. And that's that's where I feel like, you know, we need to figure out something. Mm-hmm. You know, I like the 
the balance I feel like we struck is that, you know, someone like Ishioda, who's also Kansai, was had this slight Brooklyn lean because he was played by Ray Romano, who's a you know, born New Yorker, and he's um, Reno Romano. Sorry, not yeah, Ray Romano. Different guy. That was a really <laughs> different performance. I mean, like, I, I, I look, I, I think Ray could have pulled it off. I think Reno was amazing, but, you know, let's, let's give Ray some credit, too. <laughs> right, totally. <laughs> and then, you know, and at the same time, we did a, another Kansai accent with... Um, Saiko, who's, you know, her, her actor is from Texas and she was able to do a, a Texas accent. And so suddenly we have this mix of accents being Kansai and it's on one hand, that's really weird. And on the other hand, I'm like, wow, this is kind of cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, so I definitely clocked land. I mean, yeah, I definitely clocked Ishioda having that sort of Brooklyn thing. And I'm like, huh, that's interesting. Um, you know, it also helps that he kind of looks like, you know, he could be sort of a Brooklyn gangster in a lot of ways. So maybe right? it's just like sort of transposing onto that because he de- he's definitely... Um, you know, uh, as, as a lot of the Yakuza are, he's very unique looking in terms of like his hair and that kind of stuff. And he kind of looks like more like he could just like step out of a Brooklyn gangster thing. But um, <laughs> so but but also I find it interesting. So, uh, you know, humor is one of those things that's really hard to translate. I mean, it's hard to translate within its own language. Right. Um, you know, puns and that sort of thing. Like it's 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 tough as it is. And here you have a game that's just riddled with uh jokes and references and puns and that sort of thing how how difficult is it to translate the humor over sometimes i don't know people always think that this is going to be super difficult but it's i guess i guess i'm sort of like in terms of my own writing background i've done a lot of humor Mm -hmm. and a lot of humor games on top of that you know whether it's all the way back as far as like Izuna, legend of the unemployed ninja (laughs) Mm -hmm. um and 3d.game heroes have this sarcastic spin to it and you know there's all this i've just done a lot of funny games and i think that writing humor comes kind of natural to me personally and i don't know what it is about the localization profession but we just draw in people who are excellent with puns (laughs) (laughs) it's just like a thing that once you join localization you become a pun master and you're all language nerds right exactly exactly it's a bunch of language nerds and just uh, I guess you know once once you kind of figure out the cadence and and the fun without kind of going overboard, uh, you can you can kind of you can go pretty ham. <laughs> so one of the jokes that and I find this is to me this stood out to me and I wanted to ask you about it because I thought this was hilarious. Um, there's a scene where you're walking outside a vocational school and the vocational school becomes a, like a, a side thing you can do, um, but uh, Ichiban. Uh, encounters i believe an american tourist right who's asking him uh for directions and speaking that very exaggerated sort of uh you know um almost uh paternalistic english right um and then uh ichiban he's like oh man my english is kind of rusty of course he's speaking english in the dub which makes it even funnier and so he speaks right back in the same thing. And then his friend comes in and, and, and speaks in slightly better paternalistic English. Um, and, but they're all speaking English at each other. And this is just like there are layers upon layers. So, like, um, I, I just got to ask, like, how did that come together? What, like, how, what, was the, what was the meeting like on that one? There's, there's a couple things that are happening. You're, you're right to absolutely call out the layers of this. You know, it's like I remember hitting that, hitting that sub story as at my desk and just – some of those things draw a crowd, you know, around people who are like, oh my God, how are you going to localize this, buddy? Holy. <laughs> and, and I'm just sitting there with my head in my hands being like, oh no. <laughs> um, and, you know, the suggestions range are always, you know, well, why don't just make the, the tourist French or just make, 
you know, uh, change change this or that. And on one hand, you can do that, but that's that's sort of this localization butterfly effect where let's say this tourist, the stupid American tourist that we had no no intention of ever bringing back, comes back in Yakuza twenty, and he's <laughs> five years he's from suddenly, now. Yeah, and we've suddenly made him French. And like, you know, and he's talking about, he's wearing a big old American shirt this time. And just, you know, that's what I mean by a butterfly effect, right? Like you can't, you shouldn't change things that you don't, that could potentially come up to act to bite you in the butt. So, you know, on one hand it was like, well, I'm just going to keep it English. And I went and talked to the dev team about this and you, it's an unfortunate situation because it turned out a little more subtle than it had originally been planned. Um, but when, when Ichiban says, oh no, English, he actually does this head turn to the camera and a thumbs up <laughs> and like, it's super subtle in the game. Cause it hadn't always been, we must've like uh, some, some, something overwrote the, how, how more pronounced that was originally. But um, the, the intention had always been for him to kind of break the fourth wall and kind of be like, I know this is absolutely ridiculous. And that's something that's only happens if you're playing the dub because uh, you know, I worked with the Japanese team. They put in the animation. I helped customize it in the dev tool. And, uh, you know, just because we wanted that to be as as ridiculous as possible. And we also played up the tourists being a little bit more that obnoxious American in a foreign country kind of thing. You know, hello, can you speak the English kind of thing? Oh, in incredibly the annoying. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And in the Japanese, he's, he's just a little bit more, hello, can you tell me how to get to the station? You know, uh, we, we played that up a bit and then allowed KG to go kind of nuts with his his response to be clear that, well, this is a language I clearly don't understand, even though I'm speaking it. And, you know, I think it I think it turned out great, despite the fact that sort of that that head turn ended up being a little more subtle than I thought it would end up that I thought it was. Oh, that's so cool. Like that. That's that's so neat. Uh, I think there's something similar in the show Warrior, where they have like all of the uh, actors who are playing Chinese characters speak English, but that's meant to be Chinese. But then when they speak to uh, native English speakers, they speak more of a kind of limited form of English. Um, so there's like all kinds of different tricky ways to get around that. But uh, I turning your head and giving the thumbs up to the camera, that's that's the best way. Like that's by far the best way. If, and it fits, it fits the series perfectly, I think, is the thing. Like um, it's just very much in line with that sense of humor. Uh, so it's interesting that you bring that up because that was one of my questions is, uh, you know, you are working uh, as the localization director here. Um, you are working with this text and I'm curious, like how much interaction do you have with the Japanese offices at Sega? Um, are, are they kind of like running stuff? By, are you running stuff by them to make sure it's faithful? Um, do you have a little more free reign? What's, what's the relationship like there? We have absolute free reign. They don't come in and be like, what are you doing? Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> but we, we absolutely depend on them because, you know, we don't always have the context they do. So when we get text in before we have movies, for instance, and we're like, what is happening here? Who is this person talking to? Or, you know, what, what did you mean by this? Is this a reference to that kind of thing? We have an open dialogue with them that we can absolutely be asking those kinds of questions. Uh, it's just sometimes we don't know that we need to ask the question before we see what happens in the, and we're like, oh, we got that wrong kind of thing, you know? Um, but for the most part, you know, they they let us do our, our thing because we're ultimately responsible for this text. They don't want to come in and, you know, uh, manage it for us and then ultimately be responsible for a problem. Because mm -hmm. so I think, you know, ultimately every problem is our own problem to deal with and every victory is our own to celebrate, you know? Um, and I, I really appreciate that about them and I really appreciate the trust that they put in us, but um, you know, it's it's definitely 
open dialogue, which I think is a little bit rare for some Japanese studios because they just are so busy. Once they put out a title, they move on to the next one and aren't focused on the localization of, of the previous. So it's really neat that we have this level of support that we do from them. So how has working on these games changed since the series became more popular in the West? Now, it's it's interesting because, you know, Yakuza is now kind of a flagship franchise for Sega. Um, it's uh, It was, you know, like a dragon was pretty much the sort of exclusive next gen thing for the series x it's big on game pass huge on playstation there's all kinds of fans discovering it but it wasn't that long ago like these games are just sort of coming out in very limited release i think yakuza 5 came out digital only because they just didn't think there was a market for it um so how is the how has working on these games changed uh over that kind of period of them becoming more popular well, you're you're absolutely right about five, and and it was it came out of really this kind of terrible time for Sega, who just recently closed its North American office in San Francisco, and all the titles were at risk of kind of hobbling out the door. I used that term earlier, which it did because it's just it's at the very end of the life cycle, digital only Christmas release. Like, you know, in terms of sending people off and saying, they sent it out to die," and it's like, well, we're lucky we got it out at all. <laughs> um, you know, with Sony's help, of course, uh, I always have to credit them for being coming in and publishing the title for Sega, who had, you know, essentially closed its doors. Um, so Yakuza 0 was this big rebirth where, you know, between Sega kind of moved in with Atlas and we had this um, this op- opportunity to revive the franchise with the prequel that we knew was really a- an excellent title that we knew would, wouldn't have the barrier to entry of being five games in kind of deal. And that, that allowed us to start from scratch. Um, but in terms of how even Zero, where it's a one platform, one subtitle language to Like a Dragon, which has, what is it, five platforms, five, six, seven languages, and a million pieces of DLC, and, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's just like the, 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 the amount of management that has to go into the franchise has become exponentially larger and the teams have to get bigger. The more people are involved, the marketing budgets, it just, it's got, everything got scaled up slowly, you know? Um, and that's really, really cool. It's really cool to be able to say I was, I was there when it was at its lowest point and then to see where it is now is incredible. <laughs> yeah. Zero. I mean, like it's interesting you refer to it as a rebirth because that's where I actually jumped in on the series. Um, is uh, it was zero, and it does feel like it kind of was in a lot of ways, especially going back and playing some of the older games and that sort of thing. They re- you, it was a significant changes in gameplay and style and that sort of stuff, uh, and it really did kind of feel like it was that big shift. Um, and and it, I think it's not coincidental that and you you have insider like you were inside on this, so you probably better read on it than I do. But I feel like that's the moment where the the ship kind of turned, right? Like that game really did resonate. Do you, do you have any thoughts on why it might be resonating more now? The series, it was it was a perfect storm for Yakuza Zero. You, you know, the developers ask us the same question. They're like, "Well, what the heck happened? You know, like why why did suddenly the title take off in the West with Zero? And mm-hmm. okay, so number one, it's a great game. Number two, it's a prequel. Number three, it came out at a great time. Number four, the we changed the entire localization. Number five, the marketing shifted away from being well, it's the GTA of Japan to, to embracing what the Yakuza series really is. You know, so there's number six, the damn chicken. Like there's there's just so, so many things that happened for Yakuza Zero in this perfect storm of, of excellence that, you know, we couldn't replicate if we tried. So 
you know, I can't point to any one thing and be like, this is the reason Yakuza suddenly decided to succeed. It was, it was really a lot of factors and a lot of luck, but also a lot of people who just knew that it was an excellent franchise and needed it to succeed and wanted it to succeed. And you can definitely feel that. Like, you can definitely tell the people who are working on this really genuinely do love these characters and love this world and want to, you know, bring it to more people. And so it, it comes through. I, I Like, certainly as a fan, it does. Awesome. Uh, yeah. Uh, like I said, uh, you know, my wife and I will play these games and we just have a blast. Like, we just, like, hang on all the stories. We laugh. We bust out laughing at all the, the jokes. We gasp at the at the chapter breaks and that sort of thing. <laughs> it's it's perfect. Like, it's just, it's, it's we just, we love, like, you know, we, we play through Like a Dragon and just the whole time, just like, aw, aw, that jerk just getting angry and happy. And just all <laughs> so glad um, to hear. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, so, as you mentioned, English voice acting, uh, or we alluded to, uh, it's fairly new in this the series the uh uh Ryuga Gotoku uh studio games uh were primarily in Japanese certainly zero was uh you know six was uh pretty much all of them up until uh I believe Fist of the North Star the Fist of the North Star game they had was the first one to have English voice acting mm-hmm. um then Mine's Judgment... binary domain but <laughs> oh binary domain okay uh yeah sorry like uh I, I, yeah but then like judgment was the first one that was set in like the Kamarocho universe mm-hmm. um and then like a dragon's the first proper yakuza game to have it yep yep uh so you know one of the things i was interested in you know what shifted uh like what prompted the shift toward english voice acting in these games judgment primarily i mean we we'd done at that point uh three three primary yakuza titles plus kiwami 2 um and and not to say that they were doing poorly or, but they were just sort of doing what they do. And, you know, no company is interested in, in stagnation. And so, you know, people came up and were like, well, you know, one of the reasons we can't get this into retail is because it's in Japanese and no one, you know, it's difficult for people to recommend games to their, to their mainstream gamer friends that are, Oh, well, that's only in Japanese. And you have to read subtitles, but it's a good game. You know, that, that would be like the, the primary way people would do that. And so with, with judgment at, at no risk of, destroying the main series's integrity you know because we were all coming out of that the yakuza one dub that was you know <laughs> it is what it is um <laughs> we'll have to talk and, about that in a minute just yeah, to give yeah. context but, but please continue <laughs> yeah so you know and we we're like okay so if we're gonna do this we're gonna do it right we're gonna get the good actors we're gonna get go full full union recording we're gonna get our the studio we want the director we want and you know we we went absolutely wild on it and just threw it at the threw it at the board to see if it stuck and it kind of did uh we kind of proved with that game that there is somewhat of a barrier to entry if the game exists only in japanese it's harder to recommend it's new players can come into it easily more easily and uh even though you know obviously all these core fans these people who had been with yakuza forever were going to play in japanese it was very clear that uh in the data that new players uh favored the english and Mm -hmm that was all the data we needed to show that, you know, we could grow the audience by, into, by allowing an English option, as long as the, and my, my philosophy on that, as long as we can absolutely offer an English option, as long as it doesn't interfere with or hurt the quality of the Japanese version for these core fans who have been supporting the title forever. And that's why we ended up with little subtitles and um, <laughs> almost essentially two different language games inside the, inside the product. <laughs> Yeah, I, so I'm going to admit, Judgment is one I have not actually... I bought it, and then I never got around to playing it, so... Ooh, but, but, I know, I know. <laughs> but, but it's just stuff happened, man. Like, totally. you know, being I hear you. Professor full-time, all this kind of stuff. Uh, 
and then by the time I was like, okay, after I finish like a dragon, we come back to judgment, and they're like, oh, we're gonna release the next gen remaster. So I'm like, I guess I'll wait till April. Um, <laughs> so I'm looking forward to it. Uh, but you know, uh, let's go back to that Yakuza One dub. So uh, for those, so when this game first came out, I think what was that? Oh six, oh seven. Oh five in released. Japan, and then oh six in the West. Okay. So, because uh, I remember hearing about it, I'm just like, they're like, this is Grand Theft Auto for Japan. I'm like, eh. And I, and I wish knowing, if I if I had known then what I know now, I probably would have, like, checked it out. But, you know, I was seeing, like, they were trying to try sell this gritty crime drama. I just wasn't interested, right? And it is it is that. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, there is a lot of that. But it's more than that, right? Right. Um, and so, you know, they, they put all this money into, like, hiring, like, you know, uh, like, Michael Madsen, I think, was in the cast. Yep. Um, you know, Mark Hamill played Goro Majima. Yeah. Uh, and so I didn't know much about this until I went back and, and watched some of the, the dub uh, after playing the uh, Kiwami and all that. Uh, and I'm just like, nah, uh. This should have, like, you know, on, on paper, it's a great idea, but it just didn't land. So why was this so controversial? So this is this has no reflection on the voice director or the actors. This is just. Oh, not at all. That, to be clear. The, like, what. They, what what kind of what Sega thought the game was at the time was the GTA of Japan. And that's mm -hmm. how the that's that filtered all the way down into the way it was recorded. And it was the absolute wrong <laughs> approach to take. And, you know, on top of all the technical limitations of it being a dub where they had to try, they were trying to hit lip flap, even though, you know, the, <laughs> some of those mouths are just wild. Um, you know, so lip flap, explain that really quickly. Ah, okay. So in, um your average japanese dub uh or dub of a japanese product you have pre pre-rendered cutscenes, and you have these people speaking a specific they're speaking japanese with and the lips move to the japanese 99 percent of the time you are not able to adjust the fact that these lips are moving in japanese which means in order to make them speak english you have to fit english words into the japanese lip flap and that's that's actually what we did for judgment um you know you can tell in certain scenes where not quite uh, something's a little off but we've gotten much better at, at what's called adr um it's called automatic dialogue replacement where you can kind of watch the scene you write to this you write to the lips actors perform it to the lips and it's 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 generally an acceptable quality um but that was, in, like, that was common in a lot of anime and such as i recall yes. especially in the earlier kind of like late 90s ish era of anime that, that was that's common. still how they record anime right yeah that's true yeah I haven't watched anime in a long time, to be honest. So I'm a little out of the scene. Oh, People totally. are like, oh, what anime do you like? I'm like, is Cowboy Bebop still a thing? Like, <laughs> Trigun? I love Trigun. Right? Um, those are those are my jam too. Uh, yeah. Anyway, um, so so the so the the English dub for the original Yakuza comes out in 06, controversial, uh, because they're trying to make it something it wasn't. That's that is the most accurate way to explain it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um and so and I'm going to be honest, because I, like I said, I came to the series late, right? right. Um, I was not there from the beginning. I'm not going to try to be like some hipster poser guy. Um, so I, I started these games, and I just like fell in love with the characters and this world. I'm like, oh man, I wish I would have started this a long time ago. Uh, and you know, like like everybody who's ever played a Yakuza game, I fell in love with Kiryu. Just like this guy is like one of the best video game protagonists of all time. And this is where right. I'm going to point out that if you haven't played like a dragon. Uh, I'm going to spoil something, and I probably have already spoiled it just by virtue of the context here, um, but I'm going to put spoilers up er uh, earlier, too. Uh, he shows up again, right? And it's like, hooray, Kiryu's here! Majima's here! All my friends are back! <laughs> um, and then, like, you hear him talk, and I'm like, 
wait a minute, because I'm playing in the English dub, right? Because I, uh -huh. I wanted to hear the English dub because I'd heard a lot of good things and I wanted to, to experience it. Plus, cool. you know, I have to get up and like move around sometimes. And so having to be yep. able to hear what's going on makes it easier. That's another um, reason that people are attracted to being able yeah. to play a dub. It's just you can't always be glued to the subtitles. Right. And so, you know, like it's uh, and so I hear Kiryu talk and I'm just like, huh. I was puzzled. <laughs> like, uh, I'm just like, well, that's a choice. Um, I, I mean, and, and like, I, and this is going to sound critical. It's not. I, I think that the voice actor for Kiryu uh, did a great job. And it wasn't until, because this is one of the reasons I want to talk to you. Um, it wasn't until doing some digging later, I discovered that the guy who voices him is uh, Daryl Carrillo. And he was the guy who played Kiryu in the original 06 dub of the first game. Uh, so... I guess what was the decision-making process between bringing back actors like that, who again did a wonderful job? Like you know, it grew on me. It did. It's just jarring after hearing that voice in Japanese for so long. Totally. Um, uh, so what was the decision-making process going back to this dub? Right. So knowing that these characters appeared was another head in the hands moment. Just because I've been asked to dub this thing, I there's <laughs> there's no there's no chance of just leaving those guys in Japanese. It's a dub, right? You know. So like someone has to play them. For and, honest, honestly, I thought you were going to do that for a second. I'm like, wouldn't it be fun if, uh, if they showed up and it's just the Japanese voice actors? Oh, God. That would have been, so been... It would have been bad, but also I would have enjoyed it. Anyway. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, so, so it becomes this thing where it's like, okay, so they, these characters have been around for 15 years worth of games, and in this game, they're literally cameos. So already we're in a situation where it's like, there's no one I could tap to be like, all right, you, sir, are going to play Kazuma Kiryu. You have about two scenes, and in those two scenes, you're going to be the ultimate badass, six games of context worth, and try to capture all that, please. So on one hand, it's it's a cop-out, and on the other hand, it's a redemption arc to go back to the original cast and be like, what if, what if we just got the original actors who played these dudes, and they were good? That was the, that was the, the, the impetus of that idea, you know, because if, if we can't get person you know if we're not going to just throw this at person x to play this part like what if someone someone who'd originally done that part and and theoretically could do it better now than 2006 allowed mm -hmm. why not give them that chance you know so with with kiryu especially it was it was neat to bring back in daryl and have him reprise that role almost like he had you know like 15 years he, he transported 15 years back in time to to reprise it and you know it was like he had never left that moment in time mm -hmm. but at the same time you know here we are with all the the care and technology that we have today to allow him to actually be the actor that he should be <laughs> or could have been at the time and i feel like you know there is there is something to be said about the fact that his performance in, in like a dragon is so much different mm -hmm. 15 years later than than it was in the original yakuza dub and, and it fits too because so much of these games are about underdogs and redemption stories and all that. So it's it's you know it it works. It's a nice metatextual thing. Right. One one like I say, one part cop out, one part redemption arc. <laughs> yeah. Uh. So I, I how involved are you overall then in the casting and the direction for voiceovers? Um. And uh, let's let's start there. Like as uh, as the senior localization producer, what's your role in that? So I'm in charge of the dub. Um, the uh, we have a voice director. We have a studio. His name's Keith Aram at uh, PCB, um, and they are great. They're a great studio to work with. They're a partner. They've been with uh, Sega and by extension Atlas for like twenty years. 
Um, and so we get each other. Um, but there's, there's this, uh, in terms of actually, you know, recording and casting these games, on one hand, I lean on their experience. On the other hand, every casting decision and every, like, you know, stylistic choice goes through me. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm heavily involved in the casting decisions and the, and the, the general direction. I'm there on, in just about every session. So do the actors, when they're given, I mean, they're given the script uh, that you and your team have localized, uh, and are they given some direction in terms of, like, you know, here's kind of the cultural or dialect sort of thing we're going for, uh, you know, here's sort of the, the, the kind of cultural context, or do you just kind of say, you know, this is the general emotional hook of the scene, like you are mad at this guy, or, you know, you just found out uh, that this guy betrayed you, or you just ran into a chicken that happens to be running a business, um, <laughs> You know, uh, what sort of uh, guidance are they given on this? These actors are, are trained to come into a part that they have never read for, except maybe as, as an audition, and mm-hmm. a character they don't know they're really even playing, and mm-hmm. within 10 minutes be nailing the uh, emotional and contextual uh, nuance of that character. It's wild. It's wild to watch it happen. Um, the... It, the script is there and there's like two lot, two words of context be like you're yelling at this person but what we do is primarily is especially at the beginning we give a lot we give literally every line the japanese ref so we play it in japanese and we make sure that there's okay so that he's he's yelling here he's probably x ex, ex, ex feet away he's outside or he's indoors or he's you can you we can hear the emotional intent of the japanese line and that's mirrored in the english while also giving it kind of its own spin to sound in English, because obviously you can't just, you know, mirror the the cadence of the Japanese or the or even sometimes the emotional intent when we need it to be pushed in a little differently in English. Um, but for the for the most part, they they step into characters on day one and just go. You know, we have twenty, like I said, twenty like twenty seven thousand lines to record, and there's not a whole lot of time to sit there and be like, well, this is your character. Here's here's the bio. Let's go over this and let's let's kind of talk it out. We do that with some of the mains, obviously, because, you know, we want them to understand who they are and what the, what's going to happen. But, you know, that you hit the ground running with these with these people, because the studio is one of the most expensive parts of oh, yeah. localizing a video game, because you've got the director, you've got my time, you've got the actor's time, you've got the studio time, you've got the engineer's time. All these people are just sitting there listening to you go off about the emotional context of Ichiban Ka. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. <laughs> so there's, you know... Um, there's a pressure there to keep it on the rails and and keep it going. But we, you know, again, PCB with knowing kind of how we all work and knowing what, where we can push it and what we can do to make up time. We, we take, we do what we can. And it probably helps that you have just a tremendous cast. I mean, like these are a lot of actors who have done a lot of other game voiceover work and all that. And then you have, I mean, you have George Takei in this thing, right? Uh, Yeah. And, and like, you know, that's a, like, and he's not doing the full George Takei either. Like it's a really kind of different performance than we've seen him do in a while. It's just, it's, it's really neat. What was that like working with him just out of curiosity? (laughs) I mean, it's, it's an interesting situation because it's like the, you know, we, I think that came about because we didn't know of any particularly like amazing older Japanese kind of actors that we wanted for our Kawa. And, you know, I think at some point I was like, well, we could always ask George Takei. I literally said that at some point and people were like, yeah, we should. I'm like, no. (laughs) (laughs) 
but it worked. It's a wonderful it, performance. You, like, right? You got to shoot your tremendous. shot. And so, yeah. you know, like all of Sega got on board with being like, dude, we kind of want you for this role. We, we approached his people. We approached, you know, he, he, we gave him the script. We showed him the game and he was like, this is awesome. Um, so he became a fan, um, you know, yeah. and I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't do that for a lot of those parts because you can tell I use, I prefer to use voice actors just mm -hmm. because that's what they do. They're skilled at voice acting, you know, and I think a lot of uh, video games these days kind of like, well, if we get celebrity talent, we'll be able to, you know, put them in the spotlight more. And that's true. You can absolutely do that, you know, yeah. we, we, but I would take hey, a Desi voice actor. with Peter Dinklage, right? <laughs> right? <laughs> I would take a voice actor every day over yeah. a celebrity piece of talent. So it's, um, you know, it's a good balance to find, find the roles that would work for celebrities, but also keep the main cast more grounded in, in actors, pe the people, the people who are making video games. <laughs> so let's say someone listening, you know, hears all this and they're like, I want to be that guy. I want to be the next Scott Stricker. Uh, what do you recommend students or anybody looking to get into the localization process for games uh, start off, like education-wise or how you break in or anything like that? Oh, man. <laughs> no one wants to be me. It's too much work. <laughs> Let's assume somebody did. I welcome someone to come. I Like, my throne <laughs> is sitting here. Please, come sit on this throne. If you're willing to put in the work, come do it. I hel come help me. <laughs> um. So yeah, I mean, let's let's say you wanted to get into localization. There's a lot of different like, it's a young profession, so there's no like, um, this is the way to do it kind of path. And it, a lot of it happens through linguistics. Um, whether you're uh, a translator who knows Japanese really well, or a lingu or an editor uh, who is an excellent English writer, um, or if you're simply a producer who can manage budgets and schedules and also somehow talk to Japan um, in a language you don't speak. <laughs> um <laughs> so you know there's if if i was if i was going to start out today i would i would definitely be taking either either of those routes where i'm going to be the excellent english writer or i'm going to be the excellent japanese to english translator mm -hmm. and um in terms of like the experience that you can do you can you can work on a lot of you can work on fan titles you can do fan translations like pe people that's controversial too because people are like you're doing you're stealing the product and then putting your own english over it i'm i look at that as experience <laughs> you know because you've you've seen what what nightmares kind of are on the inside of a game and how that how much work goes into putting it together um so being having something to do with games and understanding the pipeline is so crucial because i think a lot of people come into it and are just like well i'm just going to sit here and translate and or edit and you know i'm gonna rewrite the game or i don't know what people think sometimes but <laughs> i don't know like having having that that level of uh of understanding of video games is, is also just uh, as equally as important as your linguistic ability so one last thing i always like to kind of check in with people and kind of see you know you know obviously we've had a lot going on this past year what with the pandemic and all that so we're spending mm. a lot more time you know obviously you're working uh which i'm curious i guess you know like how did how did that affect uh the process because that the localization for like a dragon had to be happening right in the thick of all this we literally i don't often admit this on the podcast but the um well, i can i can cut it out if you want. No. <laughs> the last day of recording was the first day of stay at home orders oh okay um and it was wild. I I broke the law, went out to the studio <laughs> with an undisclosed actor <laughs> who also broke the law 
<laughs> and we just finished the game. It was it was this weird like there was no celebratory moment. There was no like, hey, we finished it. It was like we just got this out just in time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and from that point forward, you know, things obviously everything shut down. Workstations had to move. There was a lot of work that had to transition in this weird, awkward from home kind of way that sucks for a lot of a lot of people. But at the same time, everyone was incredibly dedicated to keeping the game on schedule, whether it was in Japan or here, you know, the pandemic affected them hard too. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there was just this drive, I guess, to be like, we're going to, we're going to keep it on schedule. And at first I was like, well, there's no way this is blow. My schedule just blew up, but everyone was like, no, we're going to do it, man. And I'm like, okay, yeah. <laughs> we'll do it. it. It's done. Like he did. Yeah. It. Yeah. Technically. Um, so what have you been doing? Uh, you know, in your spare time, obviously this takes up a tremendous amount of time. Um, what are you reading, playing, listening to, that kind of stuff? What's keeping you busy when you're not at work? Um, reading, I'm reading The Way of Kings by Brandon Sanderson. Sorry, I'm, I don't look at his name often. I, I look at the title. Um, <laughs> I'll, I'll Google it, it while you're talking. Okay, cool. Uh, it's it's a uh, it's uh, this really cool fantasy novel because when I'm not reading, when I'm not doing. Uh, this modern-esque kind of language. I love to go back into these fantasy novels and fantasy mm-hmm. games like Final Fantasy and like this, this Way of Kings and, and be immersed in, in this higher level English than, you know, holy shitballs kind of deal. <laughs> Just to, to my, my greatest detriment, that line. Um, but the, um, the, <laughs> uh, what else am I doing? I'm playing 13 and it Sentinels. And uh, it was Brandon Sanderson, by the way. Oh, so. great. Excellent. Okay, so 13 Sentinels. Um, I'm, uh, I'm working a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it never stops. No, but it's, you know, you do what you love. And, uh, they always say, you know, you do what you love. You'll never work a day in your life. That's not entirely true. No, nope, um, it's not entirely true, but it's, it's as close. To impro- <laughs> it's close enough. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, Scott Strickhart, thank you so much for being on Serious Fun. Uh, anything you want to promote? Where can people check you out? Um, it's less about checking me out. Someone's just checking Yakuza out. If, you, if it sounds like something that you'd be at least mildly interested in, pick up Yakuza Zero. 99% of the time, it's on sale for 5 to 10 bucks. Mm-hmm. So, you know, absolutely an incredible game for that for that price and worth, worth your time if you can handle the subtitles. And if not, Like a Dragon is out where you can just play it in English. And that's kind of a reset for the series, too. So... Uh, always happy to promote the titles and um, hope that you guys can find it in your hearts to pick up more because there's we do them hard and fast. <laughs> yeah, I, I will co-sign. Um, Zero or Like a Dragon are probably the best way to get in. And uh, Plus, you got an Xbox. They're all in Game Pass now, I think, pretty much. Yeah, totally. I think except for six. That's the only one, that's, but that's coming soon. So Yeah, we got that in the pipe. Yeah, I've been trying to like nudge my friends like, you know, you got an Xbox. Get on this. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Uh, you're very welcome. And uh, thank you for being on Serious Fun. Appreciate it, man. My thanks once again to Scott Strickart, senior localization producer for the Yakuza series. Uh, Again, the latest game in the series is Yakuza Like a Dragon, out now on Xbox, PC, and PlayStation 4. PlayStation 5 version drops March 2nd. The entire Yakuza series, except for 6, also once again on Xbox Game Pass. Serious Fun is a production of Phoenix Studios at the University of Wisconsin Green Bay. Phoenix Studios executive producer is Ryan Martin, and the production manager is Kate Farley. Our audio production coordinator is Bill Salek. Our sound engineer, editor, and producer for this episode is me, Brian Carr. 
Our graphic designer is Kimberly Vlees. If you haven't already, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to Serious Fun on your favorite podcast platforms. You can also check out uwgb.edu forward slash podcasts for all past episodes of Serious Fun, as well as all the other episodes of the other Phoenix Studio shows. I am your host, Brian Carr. Thanks for listening. You just listened to a Phoenix Studio production, the podcast network for University of Wisconsin Green Bay. For more podcasts, visit uwgb.edu forward slash podcasts.